Hi everyone, and uh, welcome to yet another Indie Game Preservation Initiative um, interview here with some fine folks from Type 3 Studios. We got Eric, Sean, Jim, and Nick here with us. Um, why don't you all introduce yourselves? I'm Eric, the uh, programmer uh, and sort of uh, generalist, uh, the guy who glues everything together, um, and uh, yeah, uh, happy to be here. Uh, so thanks for thanks for inviting us. I guess we'll go down the, the list on the screen. I was thinking of that too. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm Sean Conlon. Uh, you know, I've done a little bit of the uh, audio work. Uh, I work in uh, you know the games marketing, uh, keeping us uh, a little bit of a uh, you know uh, keeping us legal. Um, like uh, accounting, playtesting, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, just, you know, I did some work to kind of get us uh, into uh, the pack space. Awesome. Awesome. Hi, Jimbo Chansky. Uh, all of the character animations, uh, some of the game mechanics, like just how enemies operate, and some of the level designs, but not most of either. Awesome. Um, I'm uh, Nick, and I guess I would be, I guess, the lead designer or creator. Um, I just came up with the idea for uh, the game. Eric told me to come up with an idea for a game that something he thought that, uh, you know, a small team could work on. And um, I thought, you know, side-scrolling platformer would be a good, uh, seems like something a small team could do. And um, I also do the uh, level editing, most of it. Fantastic. So we're we're here today to talk about a, a really fun game that I um, found out about at PAX East, uh, Super Marxist Twins. And of course, the, the 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 character design, the name, and everything really grabbed me uh, first. And I definitely want to di dig into the the legal aspect with you, Sean, uh, about this later. But uh, it, it's a really, really fun game. I played uh, through the demo last week, and it's just super, super fun. Um, but before we dive into the uh, the game itself, uh, I would love to hear about how you all got to where you are right now. Um, I was talking to uh, I was talking to Eric a bit uh, over email before, and how this is a passion project and something that you do. Um, when you have time, when you have some free time. So tell me how you how you started this and, and how you got to where you are. Um, I'll kick it off. Uh, we've basically just been friends for a long time and uh, are all into video games and all like, like the idea of trying to create things. So, um, a ways back, um, Nick and I worked on, you know, some Half-Life 2 mods, uh, or a Half-Life 2 mod. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, we we were kind of in into that, uh, you know, scene. There was there was like a few few community forums and stuff uh, going on then. And uh, while we had like a pretty cool project going, we had like a really cool intro. Um, there was like technical challenges to getting things just right and we were probably being like 
maybe like I might have been being too perfectionist about things. Like I couldn't kind of get past like some of the little hiccups where, you know, you've got your nice, brilliant scene playing out and then like a character spins around in a weird way before they walk away or something like that. You know, it's like that stuff always just bothers you because it looks wrong. Uh, but anyway, I think, you know, that's partly why, as Nick, as Nick mentioned, like we kind of decided, like, what's something that is going to be maybe a little bit more, a little bit easier for like a team our size to execute. And as you mentioned, like this is in our free time because uh, we've all got day jobs. Um, so, you know, we're, we're not like spending, uh, you know, eight hours, 40 hours a week, you know, doing this. So, um, yeah, uh, I mean, that's that's pretty much like like how I personally got to where I am is I've wanted to wanted to make games since I was a kid. And um, in college, figured out like by way of a logic course that I could probably do programming. Uh, so I changed my major and got a degree doing that and have been a software developer since then. Um, but basically, all entirely knowing that like, well, programming is part of games and I want to make games. So I went that way. Awesome. Yeah, I, I wanted to get into game programming when I started the, at the university, but um, I didn't get into that program. So I uh, joined regular programming instead and went down that route. Um, and I've never recovered, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there weren't there weren't that many game. I I was looking for like one of those like you know game design programs, and there weren't that many at the time that I was you know going into college. So uh, I went to programming, like just knowing that was part of it, and and you know figuring out I could probably do it, and and knowing like I could probably support myself, you know, as a as a backup if. I wasn't able to immediately make money, you know, making games in my spare time. So, yeah. Awesome. John, Eric and I go back to about fifth grade when he moved in across the street. Uh, Nick and I go back to about high school when uh, Eric, Nick and I met up in, uh, I mean, sorry, Eric and I met Nick in uh, freshman year. Um, and then Jimbo and I go back uh you know blockbuster video blockbuster video jimbo worked with me in blockbuster video <laughs> kind of dates us a little bit in, in high school <laughs> and uh and you know jimbo also you know he, he became friends with us a, a little bit later in life after after the uh the blockbuster days so <laughs> long after vhs yeah probably, yeah probably like right before blu-ray i would say yeah um i i actually have a background in accounting um it and uh, a little bit of a background in um, music. Eric and I both have a background in music. We, uh, Eric played the bass. Uh, I played the drums. Um, so you know, we we were like a you know, I guess garage music musicians for a little while as well. Uh, Eric, Eric's Eric's garage, you know, is his actually his bedroom. Uh, yeah, we're just a he- we're just a headless rhythm section. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, and. Uh, I, Jonas, I, I think you know. Prior to this interview, you, you mentioned that you know you were uh, six years old when you started playing video games. I was I was around that age, about probably six or seven. I, 
remember running around the house, you know, screaming my head off with an NES, like holding it up uh, on Christmas Day. So, yeah, you know, I've, I've been a, a lifelong gamer as well. And I think, you know, when, when you know, the first time I saw it was actually, uh, you know, Nick and Eric were working on uh, that, that Half-Life mod. It was, it was called the Battle for Philadelphia or Battle of Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, I, I was... I, I was actually pretty impressed with, you know, their skills because, you know, first of all, like the, the attention to detail, like they were walking around Philly, snapping photos of, of buildings and kind of incorporating this into like a futuristic setting. And, you know, uh, I was really impressed with Nick. He, he was doing a lot of work where he was just like manipulating the face to animate, to talk, you know, and it was, it was really cool just watching him doing. I was like, you know, I was like, it gave me, it gave me a little inspiration. I was like, man, these guys can, can do it. So you know, when uh, when they started talking about, uh, you know, this concept of super Marxist twins, um, you know, I really thought about it. I was like, you know, we, we could probably make this happen, you know. And um, I mean, when I say we, it's it's very strongly like, you know, Nick, uh, Eric, um, Jimbo's got the uh, Jimbo's got the art skills. I'm more or less like, you know, filling in some of the cracks or the gaps there. But, you know, like. When I say keeping us legal, uh, part of our my work was to also kind of like incorporate Type Three Studios and you know just uh, do our do our the the nitty gritty filings with the states and whatnot. So you know put a little of that accounting uh, background to, to skills, well, or you know those skills to uh, to work. Yeah, make it so we're allowed to actually sell things at PAX when we go there. Yeah. <laughs> That's always good. That's always good. Yeah. Having someone to help with paperwork is, is very helpful. <laughs> All right. So uh, I've loved video games since I got a Super Nintendo uh, for Christmas. It was like probably 1991 because that's the year it came out. And I got Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. And then ever since I had played that, video games and their imagery, imagery have always been in my imagination. And um, there would even be instances when I would be like at family picnics and stuff. And I was the oldest, like one of the older cousins. And usually I'd have a lot of my younger cousins would hang out and I would like throw soccer balls and footballs at them. And I'd give them rules and like make them play like real life human pong or like <laughs> asteroids. And like the idea of gaming and engaging people has just been like in my blood since I played that game. And when I was in the Blockbuster days that Sean referenced earlier, uh, there was this guy that worked at Blockbuster, and he introduced me to a program called Games Factory. And mm -hmm. that program, it's like this French software that you can use to just like, like DIY glue game pieces together. Like you can give things speeds and lives and different art. Uh, it's got like a pixel animation element inside of it. Um, and so I did that when I was about like maybe 14 or 15. And I've also always drawn my whole life. So when it was time to go to college, uh, I went to SVA. I learned how to illustrate. And then I went to, I, I didn't graduate there. I actually went to Full Sail and learned how to do computer animation, which uh, I've done some work with over the years. But I've actually just had like normal day jobs a lot of the time because I would spend most of my spare time uh, working on my own game dev projects. And I, I was just kind of like wandering, you know, for years, man. I was like some guy who crashed his plane in the desert and i'm just wandering by myself in this game dev world because i'll tell you what man you work on games it takes everything to pull it off 
And the reason why I say crashed a plane in the desert is because I was about done until I met these guys. The guys up there and the guy down there. Uh, I met them and uh, I basically didn't stop working on games because of that. And I feel like I brought something to them and they also brought a lot to me. Uh, I feel like that sums it up. Yeah. Jimbo, before you mentioned a plane crashing in the, the desert, I kind of, the words Pixel Ronin came to mind. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> you can own that Thanks, one now. Got it. That's wonderful. Nick? I I I I love it. I love it. What about you, Nick? Thanks, man. Uh, well, I was a uh, communications and film major in college, and um, I've always I've always been into video games for a long time. Particular, I've been a PC gamer since uh, pretty hardcore PC gamer since I think it was 1994. My dad got us a. Uh, Amazing uh, 99 megahertz uh, Pentium 486 um, with like, I think a whopping like 16 megabytes of RAM, something like that. But I've been into gaming ever since then. And um, I wanted to make movies when I went to college and um, I started going back and play Half-Life 2 was coming out. I went back and I started playing the original Half-Life and remember just being amazed at the scripted sequences and how video video games were kind of becoming their own medium. Like, um, you know, normally when you see a cut, when, when stories told through cutscenes, that's not really using video games to tell a story that's incorporating film into a video game to help tell the story. But I was really blown away with how valve, uh, you know, told a story with video games and, uh, towards the end of college, I realized, you know, maybe I want to use my, you know, film storytelling skills in a video game maybe um because you know i don't have any background in game design but i you know i played so many games and i felt like i had a good enough understanding of the medium that maybe it's something that i could do so me and eric we worked on our half-life mod after college for years and years and um it was fun and everything but it wasn't it wasn't something that we could really see a career like you know um coming out of and then eric just had this idea what if we do something smaller that uh you know at the time it was just me and him and he said you know let's let's do something let's come up with something that the two of us can do and maybe we'll get some other friends in on it and make like a, a group project out of it and um so i've just been uh working on super marxist twins with these guys since then and uh teaching uh teaching uh substitute teaching in the meantime as a day job awesome awesome yeah we um so i want to dive into the game but for everyone watching and listening here we'll we'll play the trailer for super marxist twins before we dive into the game <laughs>
that was the uh, the trailer for Super Marxist Twins. Uh, I love how you incorporated all the um, old music, old Soviet uh, music here, and uh, the imagery and everything. Um, what really pulled me in when I saw you uh, all at PAX was, of course, the uh, the characters, as I mentioned before. I was like, I recognize something here. And then I saw the name. I was like, <laughs> I recognize something here, too. Um, so tell us, uh, how did... How did you start with this specific uh, game, the Super Marxist Twins, and how how did it evolve into what it is right now? Well, Eric told me that I had to come up with something that a small team could work on, and I thought side scroller, but um, you know, side scrollers are kind of like a dime a dozen, and uh, and I thought we had to do something to make ours kind of stand out, something that would hook people in, and I thought. You know, maybe if we added, you know, this wacky uh, Soviet propaganda to it, then maybe we'd have something, you know, really unique that would grab people's attention. And that was kind of it. Did you did you ever feel like you, you might get um, hunted down by Nintendo for doing this? Well, oh. the, since the <laughs> beginning, um, I've I mean, I did I didn't do a whole lot of stuff with like copyright law and. Um, Actually, I didn't really, I mean, we, we only touched on copyright law a little bit when I was in college, but they, I remember one thing they talked about is that parody is protected by copyright law. And I always kind of knew we're not making a, um, you know, carbon copy of Mario brothers. Um, oh, that's the game you're, that the, you're, um, you're referring to. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, no, Mario, what? No. Say something yeah. about brothers. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah. But it is very intentionally meant to parody and kind of like be somewhat reminiscent of that game, but it's very much its own thing. I would say in a lot of ways it borrows from lots of different games from that era. Like yeah, there's some eight and sixteen bit. Yeah, there's some Sonic the Hedgehog and uh, Donkey Kong Country influences in there too. Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and it was actually, um, you know, one of the things Eric was making for the game back when we started writing the design doc for it and all was, uh, you know, Eric was uh, kind of making a tool for Nick to do a little bit of the level design, right? Um, and it was a level editor. Well, level level editors are, you know, unique. We've seen them in, like, RPG editors for games and stuff like that, you know, like, they have games based on that. Uh you know, at the time when we started working on it, um, you know, it was kind of interesting to to be able to kind of release, you know, a platforming game uh, where where there would be a level editor. There'd be, and we were talking about, you know, putting a community, like attaching a community aspect to it and allowing people to share and rate, these, you know, the levels, et cetera. And then, of course, another game recently came out that uh, <laughs> we're like, we're, we're you know, we're kind of face palming when that happened. Um, but, you know, at, at the same time, um, you know, I think from a, from a legal aspect, we were kind of saying, okay, well, you know, one, we, we have this in our design doc, which came out well before, you know, uh, a certain maker uh, was announced. So, you know, from that perspective, uh, you know, just, just kind of see why, like making a design doc is almost a, a way to to cover your own butt you know cyoa because 
you know, with the design doc, you have a timestamp on, on when you wrote it, what you wanted to make out of the game. And, you know, it doesn't, in my, my mind, you know, it doesn't kind of matter, you know, what's, what's been released as long as you're not blatantly, uh, you know, uh, stealing, uh, property or, or claiming that trying to like, um, one, make your property merge with that of another property. Right. So what we are trying to do is make our own universe, you know, make our own game. Uh, and we're not trying to, uh, you know, essentially yeah, staple our game to any other game, you know? Yeah. I had a blast playing through it. And I, I really think you're you're doing a fantastic job building up the your own world and your own universe here. Uh, I I was a uh, uh, thanks, man. Yeah, no. I, I, as I was playing it, I was like, this is super fun. And um, I, I was reading through parts of the um, the design doc as well, and I was like, yes, you're you're absolutely right that it's it's a parody, uh, of course, of um, Super Mario Brothers and others. Uh, and it's uh, also one where you, uh, where the difficulty increases pretty rapidly. I would say um, the uh, as I was playing the demo, I was like, I'm dying all the time here. Uh, but it's because I, I hadn't learned the mechanics yet. And as I was learning the mechanics, I was like, this is super fun. And it was so, so fluid when I played through the levels after playing through them a, a few times. I was like, hey, this is really fun, and I can definitely see. Uh, people speed running this later, um, and because yeah. I think it was the the last level gets pretty chaotic, I uh, in the demo the last level in the demo but gets pretty chaotic and I had a blast just avoiding everything and trying to run as fast as I could, and I'll be doing this live on stream as well. I'll be playing the demo because uh, I love platformers. Platformers is my my favorite uh, genre, uh, hands down. And I had so much fun playing this, and I I, I really love the other characters here, um, Mikhail and Ludmil, um, just super super fun, and the the enemies as well. And we'll go uh, into those too, but yeah, I think you're you're doing a fantastic job just building out your own your own story here. Um, before I talk about the story, who wants to talk about the story of Super Marxist Twins? Why are we playing this game? Nick. Well, the story is meant to be kind of, uh, I don't want to say, I mean, there's not a lot to it. It's basically just, uh, you know, this evil Zarborov has uh, taken over this country and uh, seized all the resources from the people and, um, you know, the people in quotations. And uh, now the Marxist twins have to get it back and free the country. Pretty simple, straightforward to the point, I think it's better than, you know, you have to rescue some princess out of a castle. It's not that shallow. <laughs> uh, so um, if we go into the protagonists here, um, we got the uh, the two characters, Mikhail or Mikhail or Mikhail. I, I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. Maybe someone on the Internet can correct me. And Ludmil. Um, it's all interchangeable. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how, how did you get to uh, these names and these characters and and also their their powers? Uh, I would love to dive into those. Well, uh, since it's a Mario parody, we wanted I wanted to make um, you know an M name and a 
L name instead of Mario and Luigi, and they'd be, you know, Russian instead of Italian. Um, I came up with Mikhail. We kind of went back and forth on Mikhail. That was originally it, and then we switched to Maylor, and then we switched back to Mikhail. I just thought Mikhail was a good uh, name because it's obviously Russian, kind of like how Mario is obviously Italian. And um, then we... Uh, we didn't know what to come up with for the next for the L name, uh, so we just went through a list of uh, like different uh, Russian names and picked out Ludmil because it sounded funny. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if it still says it in the design doc. I think it, for one very brief time, Ludmil was like Leon or something like that, mm. uh, which I can't remember. It might still be in the design doc, but he he changed quickly and then stayed Ludmil for basically. Uh, you know, just about the whole uh, development. Yeah, and and Eric and I have been calling Mikhail Maylor pretty much up until PAX, so <laughs> we've, we've kind of had to train ourselves not to before PAX. Yeah, the, they say it, and I like don't even notice it because it's just <laughs> become so interchangeable. <laughs> um, and they have their powers as well: a hammer and a sickle. Yes. Yeah, coming up with an idea for power-ups was really uh, tough. I think I had, like, work gloves in the original design document and work boots and, like, a whole bunch of other stuff that just didn't work out right. And then one night I just was laying in bed stoned and I just had this idea for uh, hammer and sickle as weapons. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, and I think it works really well. The... Uh... Um, with the hammer breaking stones, uh, with the sickle breaking the, these hay bales uh, and things like that, it, it works really well. And um, possibility of aiming as well a bit better than, than in other Mario games, of course, uh, and in many other platforms. Just being able to aim where your projectiles go is is very useful. We didn't originally yeah. have that, and Eric added it in during development. And when he did, I was like, "Dude, Mario doesn't do that. What are you mm -hmm. talking about?" And it actually just wound up being like, like you said, it's like a great feature. It it gives the gameplay depth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think one of the one of the really I want to say like uh, great qualities of our project, like at least in the development side, is our leader is constantly improvising new stuff. Like he threw co-op right before PAX. And I was just like, dude, that feature is like too big. It's risky. <laughs> and he did it. And it was like the hit in terms of uh, all the, all the elements of our paradigm. So yeah, we had a little bit of a line going up for, uh, for the co-op. It was a very ballsy move because it, like, yeah, it was, it was very untested. And we were just like, yes, toss it into PAX. Why not? <laughs> Which, it, was in a, yeah, it was in a pretty buggy state too but luckily like when because we did like a a thing that contained the demo to you know not messing around a whole lot on in the menus and stuff you're just kind of playing through it sort of masked it up some and like it it, it's, it was not full featured it's still we're actually still working on uh some of the co-op stuff getting it all ironed out but but yeah, the core of it was there, and that's really it was really like the important part was like, all right, is it is this fun? And like Nick and I like tried it in like I think our hotel room when we got there, and we were like, 
Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Let's 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 bring an extra controller and we'll we'll show it to people. You know. Wait, wait at the hotel room <laughs> as we were heading into PAX. Dude, last <laughs> minute, man. Holy, last minute. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that's part. Of, I feel like that's like the spirit that our team embodies. We're just. Like, <laughs> yeah. Would it be awesome? Don't Anti, roll. Anti-professional. <laughs> just like I don't know. Let's let's try this. Let's do like, let's do that. I don't know. <laughs> there was a point in development where we had brought up the um, possibility of co-op, and I kind of shot it down um, because I thought it was. I was really worried, and when we first started developing the game, that. If it didn't look and play enough like Mario, then people wouldn't get the parody aspect. And then at some point, I just said, you know what? Fuck it. Let's start making. I think people get the parody in the name just fine. So let's just do our own thing and have at it. Yeah. And I mean, I had like wanted to try to do co-op for a long time. Uh, I just kept like kind of backburnering it. Um, and then we did another convention two weeks before PAX mm -hmm. and so many people asked is this co-op because there's two characters that I was just like man like every time somebody asks that and we got to say well no but like maybe it will be someday but it's not right now it's just like a total like I'd rather eat a shoe every time I had to say that <laughs> um, and and like I was just like you know going to PAX like People are expecting this enough that I gotta at least give it a shot and and see like and if it's if it doesn't work out, I'd rather I'd also rather be able to just flat say no, it's not than than to be like well we want to try that but I don't know you know so it was like we gotta give this a shot and see and 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 it, I knew that if we were going to do it I wanted to be able to say like yes to it by the time we got to PAX because that other show we did was like a microcosm it was like it was like a it was like training for, you know, PAX, which was just an insane number of people, just a sea of people. Um, and uh, I'm like, I'm like branching out into topics here, but, but yeah, it's like, we, 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 we use that to get ready. And, and we used, I use that to decide like, yeah, I'm going to try to do put co-op in. And then I had concerns also like, when you're developing like this single player game, it just happens to have two characters. Is it really balanced if you start playing with a second person? And actually like it's sort of another aspect of like you know I guess I can't say genius because it wasn't intentional, but it was but luck that Nick had that idea about, you know, the hammers and the sickles and the bricks and the hey, because each you know, each character is unique and they're not able to do everything themselves. So it's not like you get two Contra guys instead of one, mm -hmm. you know, and you can just kind of blast your way through things. I mean, not that Contra was even unbalanced in co-op, but I'm just saying, like, it's not like they're they're that interchangeable. You know, they they do different things. So They're asymmetrical, and yeah. not only does each weapon break a different block type, but they also have different trajectories, so tactically... Each one has advantages in different situations. It's really yeah. dynamic. Like yeah. Nick's entire like set of features with the hammer and the sickle, I would say it's the core of what makes this game unique. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, it, it makes it like this kind of hybrid between like Mega Man 
and and your standard Mario platformer. It's it's really neither one of those. It's both. Because like you play <laughs> Mega Man, you gotta like pick a different weapon mm-hmm. for a different boss, you know. And with Marx's twins, you've got to pick one of the tools of the people to take down uh, the the oppressive uh, overlords or whatever. You know, I don't. Nick made it up. He could tell you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, to, to Jimbo's point, uh, uh, the you know the topic of the trajectory of the weapons, I think it kind of like makes people, uh, you know, cooperate a little bit more. Like, for example, you have the, uh, you know, you've got to get through certain, um, you know, uh, puzzle, you know, like pieces of like, you know, Hey, we want to unlock this thing. It's like, well, one person might, you know, start sprinting off screen, you, you know, but you kind of have to like work together to kind of tackle some of these challenges. And, uh, you know, and, and and also the whole sprinting off a screen, you know, like I, I, when we first started doing the uh, split screen, or not split screen, the uh, two, two player, I, you know, I was like, Eric, should we, you know, toy with the notion of split screen? Should we kind of like split it up or join it back together when, you know, they're, they're on the same screen together or something like that. And I think, you know, you know, where we kind of landed on that right now is one is I, I think just having one person in control of the camera at a time says, okay, you know what? You kind of have to work together or you're both going to get a, get a, you know, uh, bite a bullet, you know? So. Yeah, no, I, I think it, it works really well, uh, even as a single player, because I was playing it by myself here. Uh, and it works really well uh, with the, uh, the switching of the characters and making sure that you, um, you use the right tool whenever you need to as well. Um, it makes it. Jonas. Yeah. Sorry, I I got a question for you. Shoot. Did you notice that you can hit? Um, I I'm talking PlayStation controller here. I'm sorry if you got Xbox, but if you hit the circle button, your character whistles and the other character throws the projectile. I noticed yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just. Yep. Right, yeah. Just I think sure. circles the same on both controllers too. Oh, cool. Right? Cool. Yeah, no, I was like, wait, wait, why is he whistling? And then like a second later, a projectile comes around. I was like, wait, what just happened? Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I saw that and I thought that was really cool. Uh, but I really like um, switching up the other characters as well. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Just having that that option uh, is super neat. And, and having the uh, both characters even when you're playing um as a single player you have both characters available to you uh is really um i, I love that and just having the the second character jumping off uh over uh, after you and catching up with you and um yeah just super super fun um so i know yeah, so we talked about it um here so let's dive into packs a bit more uh, so you went to PAX. What was the reception like at PAX? Uh, I, I would say PAX was. Um, I, I think we we knew we had something going on for us, but uh, like we we were just also kind of like at, at one point I like I expected like you know a bunch of uh, lawyers with brief, briefcases from Nintendo just be like shut it down like you know like so that was kind of uh, one of the. Uh, one of the worries I had, but it was very unfounded. Um, well, you know, and then I would also say uh, the other the other thing was that you know um, it despite despite you know COVID and whatnot and everybody you know like ha- having a mask requirement like uh, I would say it was it was very packed. Um, and I 
you know, uh, we, we did spend a, like, we're a small team. So every dollar we spent was pretty, pretty considerable for us. Um, but at the same time, I feel like, uh, you know, I can say for the team, we all felt pretty vindicated when we went there, you know, just, there was a lot, like, there was very little vacancies in the seats, um, you know, to try the game. Uh, we had, a, we generated a lot of interest in, you know, I would say that that very first day, when they open the doors and you just see the crowds rushing by you to go sign up for something that, you know, isn't your game. You're like, Oh man, what did we do? Like, what, what have we done? This is going to be a slow packs. And then all of a sudden, you know, people just started filtering in and it was like, Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. We've got, we've got something here, you know? (laughs) So yeah, that, that was, that was my, my impression of packs. That must've been an amazing feeling. Yeah. Uh, uh, Eric, Nick, you, you guys want to jump in there? Yeah, go ahead, Nick. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was just worried that people weren't going to get the parody aspect, but it seems like I, I just saw all these people. They'd walk by, they'd stop, they'd read the name sometimes out loud. They'd see super Marxist twins, <laughs> and then they'd stop for a second, and then they'd just start cracking up. And it's like, all right, I think they I think they get it. So I was, that made me really, that like killed a lot of my fears about the game. Yeah. The number of double takes and stuff was, was like awesome. Like, you know, some people, some people see the thing and they just get it like immediately get it. Some people like Nick said, it like takes a second. Um, there were definitely like, you know, uh, people here, like there's, it's visual overload there. Uh, walking around a show floor like that, but there were, you know, some people like walk by and like look at your booth, like, like, did you actually see anything? Like they're like just kind of, you know, taking it all in or whatever, and it's like, it's like okay, you know, that's cool, have fun, but uh, yeah, the number, the number of like, there, the amount of uh, you know, the the volume, I guess, of of people that we showed to was just incredible um and you know nobody i i don't know that anybody would do this but nobody was like this is stupid or you know like this is bad and i hate it or you know anything like that it's like it was just a hundred percent positive except i mean there were a couple people like there there was was like a little bit of notes but there was one person who walked by and they were like super Marxist twins. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. But at that point I was like, I was so happy with the reaction that I was getting from everybody else. I just kind of rugged it off. Like, uh, yeah, whatever. Fuck that guy. Um, <laughs> that guy's going to listen to this broadcast. He'd be like, no, fuck you, Nick. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you, 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 um, uh, you had some really nice visuals to draw people in, and I think uh, having the characters uh, be uh, be very visible and, and having the, the the title of the game being very visible as well uh, is what pulled me in. I was like, I like this. Uh, this is this is funny. I like this. And then I saw it, it was a platformer. I'm like, I'm sold. I'm sold. And then you had a demo out. I'm like, yes, of course, I'll play the demo. Um, so yeah, um, it's, it's super, super cool. Um, what was the, um, what did you learn from PAX that you want to do differently next time? If, if anything, 
Do we want to give Sean like maybe two or three more days to work on the shirts next time? No. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, Sean, yeah. you go ahead because that was. If you gave me two or three more days of work on the shirts, those shirts would have been done two or three more days later. So, <laughs> uh, it, some of it, some of it was a little bit was a uh, procrastination, but it was more or less like I would, uh, yeah, we 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 definitely turned um, my basement into uh, something resembling that of a sweatshop. You know, <laughs> there was the the only the only um for, semi forced labor was my girlfriend. The way she she talks about it, she's like, "Ah, oh, I just spent my life in a basement," you know. But uh, yeah, so a lot of the what you saw at Pax that was a uh, that was homegrown. Um, I would say, uh, maybe yeah. Ne ne next time, you know, it was it was definitely a lot of work. I mean, we we sprinted from we were preparing for two shows. We did a we did a show uh, in Philly, um, you know, before that. Uh, before PAX, uh, and that was more like a trial show because we had never done a, a convention before, you know. And uh, I mean, I, I got a backpedal. I did conventions with my father, like when I was a kid. Uh, my dad sold comic books and and, and horror movies at at shows. Oh, cool! Uh, and and I helped him run those those tables. I think that was my like only experience I could really draw on to like really help me get into like what what should we do to prepare for packs? Um, but I, you know, like I, I would say one of, one of the things that I did to prepare to like learn from, from, uh, packs was, you know, one, uh, we did the show in Philly. Uh, we, we had some growing pains there. Um, and then also the other thing is, uh, you know, I went to like what, what seemed like a completely unrelated dog show, you know, <laughs> in uh like february or march or so uh, so and i just kind of like you know walked around with my cell phone just taking notes and saying like okay what's what's drawing people in mm -hmm. to um you know these tables and what's not you know like what what works what doesn't and some of the things i saw that like didn't really wasn't really conducive to getting people to come in and try your things is like kind of like setting up that like table you know like right at the front and it's like all right this is our our boundary don't cross it We'll come, you know, sit across from you and, and talk to you if you want. But that's kind of like, you know, so when we got these tables, I was like, how do we arrange these tables, mm -hmm. you know, and put them in such a way that um, it's not a barrier. It's an invitation, you know, for people to come in and say, hey, you know, check out the game, you know, and how do we how do we draw people in instead of, you know, our layout, even from the start, like repelling people. So, look, I we I would say, you know what we what we did take away from the game from it is that you know uh uh you're you can't solely rely on that you know one show experience to kind of like you know ride the wave of of you know sales or or wish lists you know i i would say that's probably the biggest takeaway from it was like you know i i wouldn't say we we felt let down per se but we were more or less just like okay we know we've got to do more to kind of you know make this game more visible uh i would also say that you know we got a lot of people coming in and asking us and and this goes to eric you know like basically having to eat a, a dsw 
worth of shoes. Um, you know, like we, we had people coming in and just saying like, Oh, uh, you know, are you guys on switch? Are you on, you know, Xbox? Do you have any plans to be on it? And it was that, that like, yeah, we got, we got some plans. Well, you know, we might be, might be doing it. We're, you know, so, um, that was, you know, we, we're, we're definitely considering that, but it, like we, after coming away from, you know, um, PAX, we had to say, you know, look, we, we definitely have, we definitely have interest. A lot of people, you know, like you, you see a crowd of, uh, you know, a hundred people and 80 of them are turning their heads at least at the game. And, and, you know, 70 of them are stopping and 50 of them are, are actually getting in line to play the game, you know, like, uh, if you build th- it, they will come. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, for us, I think it's more or less like, okay, we got to think about, you know, what are our next steps to, to increase the visibility of the game? And I think that's our, our biggest takeaway, you know, from, from PAX. Yeah, it was, a, it was a nice bump in all of whatever Villa's visibility metrics and things that you can talk about. But it wasn't really like a momentum after that it was like a bump and then it got to the other end of the bump and then like uh, you know uh there's slightly more there's like a different pace of regular traffic uh well i can see like the steam page traffic and the wish list and stuff and there's like a slightly higher pace of those than before but not like an enormous momentum or something it's like it was a bump and on the other end of it like you know, a few people per day more than it was before, which was also only a few people per day. So it might have doubled to like a few, few people per day, you know, coming to the store and wishlisting or whatever it is. But, um, but yeah, that's sort of like Sean said, it was like, uh, you know, it proved to us that like the boulder can roll, but the boulder stopped rolling. So now we got to figure out where we're rolling it next. Um, yeah. And yeah, but also like we're finishing it and we're kind of like taking the approach of because because we decided to do early access, uh, like it's there where we are hopefully ever proving that we actually can make the thing and that we will get it done. Uh, And so, you know, hopefully that just like builds slowly as it goes and and it and we just like you know, bring it home. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that, that was, that was kind of like similar to Sean, like kind of same takeaway from PAX for me, like not, not really, it it didn't really become like a a huge momentum builder, but the reaction was so positive amongst like the visibility that we did get that it, to me, proved the, proved the concept. It proved it has legs, you know? So yeah. Concepts I, definitely got legs. I, I would also just say, like you know, just observing the rest of the team, like you know, everybody, everybody, just you know, they they definitely felt vindicated. They, you know, they felt like we we had something, and they, you know, I, I would say, you know, like you know, Nick, Nick Nick doesn't seem like the kind of guy that beams, but he was positively beaming at PAX. You know, he was. I he was proud and I was proud of him. I'm proud of you, bud. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you did a great job getting us in there. Yeah, my my joke earlier too was not to uh imply that there was any kind of procrastination. It was to imply that like we we brutalized Sean by laying on him like the manufacturer of 
all of all of everything for the show, uh, which we also just you know bogarted his basement for it and just filled it up with uh, the stuff. Boxes so, yeah. and boxes of merch. Yeah, so the things to do differently next time was really for me like we, we probably don't want to put Sean through that again. We probably want to just if we're going to do the merch thing, just find another way. Just do like you know the. Do it again. I'm just I'm buying a cry cut. I'm buying a cry cut machine on Company Dime next time. All right, so <laughs> <laughs> gonna get myself a shirt press and you know we'll, we'll do this. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So it's like. We 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 hit that point of like, are we making a video game or are we a print shop? Because uh, yeah, there was like prints and paper cutting everywhere. Sean went drunk on weird free ink programs from whatever HP. He was like, I'll print sixty copies and we're gonna cut three of them because just in case we need more, I'm just gonna print them because I got like unlimited ink right now through this program. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. yeah, he found a loophole. You, a, sure. you found a, no. a thrifty loophole. Yeah, it, I'm normally a, a very green guy. I recycle, I do all that and you know I'm, I'm, and now I'm like, oh man, I'm slaying trees left and right, you know, printing, <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if, if free ink. I mean, that you can become rich on that alone. <laughs> yeah. uh, dude, well, why are we even in game dev for? Let's just do that. Just do ink. I think. I think the thing is, it, it wasn't like free ink. I think it was like a low cost trial of the program, and we were like, well, we only need it for a trial period. Really, we like this is a one and done sort of deal here. So let's just do and it. You're giving away trade secrets here, man. You're giving away trade. <laughs> I don't think there's that many indie game devs that are also in the print shop business. So <laughs> you never know. You never know. Yeah. Um, if it works for us, there there will be, but we haven't even established that yet. So and, and, and oh, I would say that was also the big one of my biggest concerns going in, and and you know, going into PAX was like, okay, one, uh, are like I, I think I was always saying, you know, it's better that we would be over prepared. And, you know, maybe we'll have some merch left over to do a Kickstarter campaign or something like that, you know. And uh, after the Philly show, like the Philly show we went to was more of a it wasn't a game show. It was like a, it was more about like comics and uh, Star Trek and whatnot. And uh, So after that, like people like it was it was interesting because the gamers that stopped like saw us, they stopped. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wow, I didn't know a video game was going to be here, you know, like and, and like and they're like, what? They blew their mind. And they're like the devs were actually there, too. I so think my, I was at that one. I think my yeah. favorite was the philosophy professor who yeah. actually like had a dense discussion with Nick about Marxism. It was really funny. Yeah. Oh, that guy was like, like, that, I feel like that guy was like our exact, like most precise demographic like, literally <laughs> made the game for exactly that guy. Uh, it's just funny. Okay, yeah. he was also like a Gen Xer, so like Mario Brothers is like that's like his teen years. It's like yeah. exactly his like study and exactly his like game generation. It was just funny seeing all that yeah. overlap. And <laughs> in, in, in my nightmare, I think for like the 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 reoccurring stress was uh you know we made over a thousand pins, magnets, keychains. You know we made. Uh, a hundred shirts, hundred fifty shirts or so, and 
and we, we made all this, this swag and, and we're like, okay, uh, you know, we didn't really sell a whole lot in Philly and, you know, we're not really, uh, like moving a lot. And, you know, are we going to be like hauling all this stuff back from packs, you know? And, and I was like, it, I was like, Oh man, like we're doing all this work and it, you know, uh, but uh, like, I, I was like, all right, you know, even, even two weeks after that Philly, you know, that's when the pack show was, I was like, even up until packs, I was still doing more production. I was like, I I'd rather just, you know, be not be saying like, Oh man, I wish we couldn't get more, you know, marketing material or, or pins or swag in the hands of people, you know, uh, uh, to, or for people to remember our game when they walk at, you know, walk out of the, there, uh, that that turned out also to be out unfounded worry. You know, we had we ended up getting rid of like we ended up either selling or, you know, through our promotional, uh, you know, um, program like you know handing out you know pins all our all our keychains all our magnets all our uh, pins. Um, we sold uh, like a vast like I would say uh, what was it like seventy seven percent or so of our our shirts. That's fantastic. You know, so yeah, it was it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's just fantastic. Uh, I love seeing merch <laughs> just flying off the tables. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Uh, I I want to dive into um, a thing related to packs, but we'll do that in a bit. Um, so the so yeah, packs seem to be very successful for you all. Uh, I'm super here, uh, super happy to hear that you got that big bump, and then you also, even if it's just a few, that's still a few more every day that wish list the game, and that's that's what counts. So that's that's awesome to hear. I, I love that. There were so many fantastic games at PAX. Um, I I tried to play or at least talk to the uh, the devs of most of them there, but there were just so many. And I was exhausted after day two. I was like, I, I, I had a lot of fun, but I can't, I can't talk to everyone there. Uh, it's, it's a big conference. It's definitely a big conference. It was the, uh, um, one of the first ones I've done since this whole pandemic started as well. So it was just super, super fun to walk around and talk to everyone. And I'm an extrovert, and I was not able to network for for like a few hours uh going into the conference was super super weird and then after a while i got into it i was like okay now now i can do this and that's when i talked to you all um so yeah super super cool um i want to dig into uh the game a bit more and how you uh, you built out the game we've been seeing that the protagonists here uh michael and, and ludmil and i want to dig into the the enemies a bit so I got these here, these capitalist pigs, uh, as as they are called. So, it, is that how you got to this this type of enemy? Originally, um, I wanted to have more analogs for stuff that was in Mario Brothers, and I wanted to do something where the main bad guys were all going to be pigs wearing uh, top hats and suits, and I wanted some kind of mechanic where you could stomp on their head. Then they get stuck in their hat, and then you could pick the hat up and throw them. But um, that just, I couldn't think of any way to make that to work particularly well. So eventually, uh, um, we decided to have a bunch of, uh, like, different variants of mostly 
mostly pigs. The the main soldiers are all pigs and they've got different roles like uh you know, there's the bayonet piggy with the bolt action rifle who's kind of tough to jump on. I, I get the... killed there uh, by them all the time because I'm used to jumping on top of things. And all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, I'm dead. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of I like to put them down in like low spots and mm-hmm. spots where the player has to jump to do, uh, you know, kind of give them an extra, uh, ad, you know, obstacle. Really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think the rats uh, are more symbolic of like kind of like quizlings. You know, they're 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 the part of the people that have like also like sided with the capitalist pigs. You know? Collaborators, pretty much. Yeah, collaborators. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And just to to uh, pull Jimbo in because we had, I uh, uh, you might have found in the 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 stuff that I sent you there was like a couple of older sort of concepts for this and. One time, like we got together, and or or we, uh, you know, w- when Jim was like joining on, we we had him do like a sketch of like just kind of some loose concept stuff, and the sort of general shape of these pigs came out of that. Uh, but for a while, like I sort of took his sketch and like just did the crudest of pixel art over it. And so that it was like kind of shaped like how he sketched it, but uh, I would say you like pretty much like traced it perfectly. The colors yeah. were kind of like you're not an artist, but for a yeah, non-artist, so colors were all right. And, I, I, uh, I made I made like slightly informed programmer art out of his like just pencil <laughs> sketch. Accurate. And, yeah, and then but what we're what we're seeing up above here is is him later than going through and 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 re you know detailing everything and uh like personally i'm i'm super stoked with how everything looks now uh yeah they're uh like the darkness in their eyes that's just derivative of metal gear solid because i love that game mm. uh, it's like got like a really painterly style to it because when they were making yeah. it they wanted it to look photo real but the playstation one didn't have the graphical capacity and i just carried it over to this because it's like cartoony anyway and and yeah. the main thing Nick would always be saying is like these piggies they gotta look mean and like mm-hmm. you know yeah. not pleasant and I kept drawing them like like pseudo Kirby they were like cute looking and I was just like well yeah. shit I gotta bring some grit into this so yeah. that, I, and that's actually what I really like about these guys because I mean it, it 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 helps to you know what one of the things that Nick wanted to do he it was was basically make a game that essentially seemed like uh you know the so the soviets wanted a soviet state sponsored team to develop a game you know to to like basically battle that of uh what was coming out of the west you know at the time and uh so like what you have here like and what i love in the artwork kind of like really uh works with that is is that it, it's got that element of cutesy you know, like like uh, Jimbo was mentioning, but it also has that mm-hmm. that seriousness. Like the pigs, they all have that serious, like determined look. Like, all right, yeah, you are you are fighting a like a like a determined force. And you know, we we, we even had um, some kids uh, who kind of like uh, some kids that we got to talk to in Philadelphia, and like they were kind of getting into it. They're like, oh yeah, let's let's you know let's fight these capitalist pigs. I was getting nervous. I was like, oh man, we are supporting <laughs> some youth here. Like this. Is, this is nuts. <laughs> like, uh, good. Whoa. My artwork subverted <laughs> youth. Good. Yeah, and it, and it made me very <laughs> nervous because we had like uh, the army behind us, and they were like, you know, they were very close to us, and they were like, uh, they had their, like a shooter there that they were like, 
You oh know? yeah, <laughs> U.S. Army. They're like, they like, got like, these like, kids like, like, go communism. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. I went to see what would happen. <laughs> that was funny. It's like, what did you get us into, Nick? <laughs> I, I definitely think that you, uh, you you capture the essence of menacing here in the, the yeah. face of the picture. Yeah, I wasn't going for determined at all. It wasn't about being determined. It was about being like evil and sinister and you know yeah. like what propaganda the way that propaganda would talk about an other, but it wasn't determined as much. And, um, and I would even the boots oh. are shiny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's that's definitely a throw to like. Like Mario, you know, his boots have always got a little shine on them, at least in World and Up. Uh, not 64, because they didn't have specularity in Nintendo 64, but... That in any military any military worth its salt is going to have some shiny boots, so... There you oh, go. yeah. Well, that's not what I was thinking, but I guess you're right. Oh, good coincidence. Um, so, the um, the enemy here, <clears throat> the, the main uh, boss picture that you uh, you sent over as well, I'll, I'll, I'll show that here. Um, I just love this. Um, it's a it's a really uh, really obese pig. Yeah, uh, my main influence was Tony Soprano because I had just finished watching The Sopranos when I drew it, and me and Nick were just hanging out one day, and I just like did a little sketch in my book, and I was like, "This." He's like, "It's all right," and I did another one. He's like, "Yeah, that's it," and that's pretty much like how it happened. It's just like to like yeah, The Sopranos was just like in my unconscious mind, and it just kind of like. Yeah, poured onto the page. What? What's? The, it, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Jonas. Um, what, what's the uh, the device that he holds in his hand? Ah, yeah, that is a radio that he calls into when you're engaged in combat against this guy, and reinforcements parachute down from the ceiling, and they attack you. That's pretty much the gist. Did I leave anything out, Nick, or is that pretty much it? Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. So as I was playing through the um, uh, the demo, I think it's four uh, four stages or something like that in the demo. Uh, what's the the intent of the the span of the whole game? You start out in the countryside. Um, you make your way through the mountains, down the coast, into the main, into you know the capital of the country, which is where the final uh, the final um, world is going to be like a uh, industrial city area. And and we also got a little bit of a, like in each world, we kind of have like a, a three little pigs type scenario going on, right? Where you, you're basically going in and you're molotoving there. Instead of blowing down their house, you're molotoving down their house. And uh, they're all running to the end of the world. And they're actually like, you know, congregating uh at the boss level and so you actually see the the pigs you've chased out the banker pigs we call them mm -hmm. you see you see them and you actually face them and they try to bribe you with coins you know in the tower there you know and, and don't don't take the coins because you know it's kind of game over for you when you hit you get those coins not game over but you you get you get the gist so game over man so don't, don't <laughs> take money from the capitalist pigs absolutely don't don't accept their bribes i love it i, I love it Oh, hey, Jonas, you were saying that uh, those bayonets, they they really got you, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. I designed that. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. No, they 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 are horrendous. And uh, it's like, oh, I need to... <laughs> there was one... Uh, I love the checkpoint system. 
thank you for implementing the checkpoint system. Uh, that is super helpful. There was that one, was Eric's doing. <laughs> there was one point where I was like, I'm constantly dying. And I don't know, because I just want to run through things fast and just explore as much as possible. I'm like, I can't move fast enough to, to avoid everything. And I was getting hit by uh, bayonets and bullets all over the place. And I was like, okay, I need to take it slow. So I did that in, in, instead. And uh, the, the checkpoints really helped in, in learning how the stages play out um, instead of just dying at the, the same spot after playing through the, the beginning as well. So thank you for checkpoints. I love those. Um, and, to, and to just like give a, a number to your question, like we're, what we're targeting is four worlds and mm -hmm. the, the worlds have each have eight uh, stages in them. Eight stages, so, four worlds. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So that's 32 in total. Yep. Yep. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really eager to play more because this is, this is my jam. Um, as I said, uh, this is, this is awesome. Um, yeah. And just to mention like that's, that's 32 stages, uh, in the campaign. And then we're hoping for, uh, you know, community levels, uh, to be featured too, which is why like, even on the campaign, just in case somebody missed it, we stuck a, a, a node on the world map as you're walking through that's a different color hoping people will go over there and go what is this and then it just like randomly gives you some uh uh community stages to try out so i did actually try that out uh, what was it called again uh, uh the industrial forge uh and and the the common good was it eric yeah the, well the industrial forge is what we call the level editor and the common good is the community area uh when you They're go yeah, when yeah. you go for the for the from the main menu, mm -hmm. um, but on the world map, it's it's just like a level node, and it just the idea there was just like something to draw you towards that stuff because otherwise it's under like extras in mm -hmm. the the main menu, so some people might kind of miss that or not you know not exactly notice it's there, but yeah, yeah I, I, but it is it is like a big yeah it's like an important to us an important part of the game. It's actually like you know one of the core uh, things that, that Nick wanted to do, I'm putting words in his mouth now, but that he wanted to do like, you know, with a design document was like have this this uh, level editor and, and ability to share things, so. Like like how Nick wanted to make this game when Eric told him to come up with an idea. <laughs> so, I, I love having that random uh, community level incorporated in the main map. Um, it definitely speaks to, to how you view community as well, and not just adding things onto your game, but actually being a part of your game. Um, I, I love that. Uh, can you tell me a bit more about the, the community levels and the level editor and, and how that works? Yeah, uh, I, uh, Nick, do you wanna? No, go ahead. Uh, so basically, uh... So like I mentioned, it, it was part of the core design. Like we wanted, we knew we wanted to do this. Um, and it was self-reinforcing because we, like I, I made uh, a level editor and then Nick used it to make levels. And, you know, that informed, like Nick using it informed what it should be like and made it better. So, you know, 
in a way it's kind of important that like we didn't just make our game and then put a level editor together like the levels that you play through are made in that editor they're not you know we're not like cheating and and using different tools or something um so yeah it sort of forced us to make sure that everything that we want to do can be done in there and that it's not super painful to do it it has a learning curve but it's not you know over the years of of nick and and jim and you know a couple of other people using it it's it's gotten a lot more polished and a lot you know a lot easier to do whatever kind of you want within and i interject yeah i'd say to put it succinctly it's a tool that has a lot of utility and you can get a lot of things done with it really quickly and really efficiently but you have to learn its quirks and it doesn't have guardrails. So like if you have like a DIY spirit, you can get a lot done with it. Mario Maker's a little more round around the edges and it's like safety or it's got safeties on everything, you know? Cuz it's made for the general public. What Eric built, you can cut yourself on it if you're not careful. But uh beyond that, it's got a lot of you like it it lifts a lot. It does a lot of heavy lifting really like, you know, really efficiently. So, yeah, and, uh, this is also it's like so. This is like the third, probably, version of the game. Like, we've kind of started over a couple of times, mm -hmm. and it's probably the second version of the level editor. So, you know, we've kind of had iteration to, you know, be able to get it to where it is now, where we where we think like. It's pretty good. Like, there's there are still things about you know the editor of the game, and of course because we're in early access, like it's not quite perfect yet. But we've iterated so much that like you know we all feel pretty good about it. Um, and you know, in a sense, like like believe in it. Like that's like why we were willing to do things like go to the conventions and stuff. It's like you, we don't know anything about game marketing. None of us like do that. But we believe in the thing, and if we can get people to look at it and try it, like it'll speak for itself, and you know, so awesome. Um, yeah, Nick, I don't know if there's anything you want to say about like what, like what it's like for you making. Uh... Um, no, nothing I can really think of. It's just, uh, it's. I think it's one of the core. Um, you know, features of our game. That was one thing that I right off the bat wanted to make sure that we had in our game was like a simple level editor so that, you know, we could hopefully build a community around it. Um, that's about it. How do you, uh, what's your thought process when you, when you build out a new level? Usually I just start with a blank screen and I build it kind of like screen by screen and kind of test it as I'm building it. And you have these uh, 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 themes as well uh, within the different worlds? Yeah, usually I tr like mo the levels, they're mostly like nonsensical, kind of like in a Mario game, but... Um, I try to have some kind of real world location to kind of inspire and inform how I build the build a level. Um, but that's about the only pre-planning that goes into it. Like I'll decide, like, you know, I don't know what to do. Let's make something that's somewhat 
resembles a farm. Let's make something that somewhat resembles a vineyard or, um, but, uh, I've, I've just found that if you try to plan too much, you wind up like kind of boxing yourself in. So I just try not to do too, too much planning ahead of time. I love it. I love it. And so the, uh, the level editor makes it easy for you to go back and, and fix things if, if it doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, uh, pretty easy to use once you get the hang of it. Awesome. Uh, I wanted to, uh, briefly, um, before we dive into some, some concept art and, and, um, stuff like that, I wanted to briefly talk about the, the music, uh, within the game as well. So who, um, who came up with the, the music choice of the game? I, uh, I knew right off the bat that we wanted to do, do some kind of Soviet, uh, propaganda music, um, and yeah, I chose the uh, the Soviet anthem for like kind of like the main theme. And Eric, he chose the other music from a bunch of other uh, Soviet propaganda stuff he found online. Yeah. Uh, so while you know we've got team members with uh, music background, none of us are like strong in music, you know, production. Uh, so or or really like composing like uh large pieces or with you know lots of instruments so really all of the music that's in there is um you know public domain stuff that i was able to find midi online and what i say is i arranged it you know so i did like i did like um instrument samples uh that were like really uh really really short in uh in their length so that they have to like repeat and it, that's what gives it the uh you know kind of snes sound at least that's what i was kind of going for mm-hmm. um so it's not like a perfect representation but it, it's kind of close to how uh how music was done on on snes with actual you know samples with a just like extremely short repeating uh musical instrument samples um and then so i yeah i I created the samples and then arranged onto uh, MIDI of you know public domain uh, old marches and various like types of songs like that and like Nick said uh, the Soviet anthem um, with the idea like we would like to add more and you know some original stuff might get composed in there eventually as well to like intermix with it. Uh, but yeah, that's not. It, I I arranged it, but I'm not I, not like claiming credit for composing it because those are compositions by you know very very uh, talented, mostly dead uh, Soviet uh, composers. Does this a call out for someone um, join you as a, a musician? Maybe. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's dig into uh, some concept art um, on how you how you put things pen to paper and things like that, and then um, we'll dive into packs a little more. Uh, so we'll start off with this one here, I think. Yeah. So uh, when I started on this piece, 
is definitely very early on, and I just wanted to create something to like capture a moment that wasn't necessarily gameplay, but it was just more about like what the world was and like what immersion could feel like. And I would give a nod to uh, a lot of the concept art in Donkey Kong Country 2 because they they took the 3d models for that game i wouldn't call it concept art but just like their like their bumper renders if you if you will uh they they took their 3d models and they did like really high res renders of them and i always like loved them you never really see them like they're not in the player's manual you would only see them if you like had certain issues in nintendo power but they were just really cool storytelling pieces and they used like unique camera angles so that that's pretty much that's where this came from. It's just you go on Google, you type Donkey Kong Country 2 concept art, you'll see what I'm talking about. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And this one. Um... Uh, that's like a sketch from like the very beginning uh, that I did and then colored it in. And I'm not that talented of an artist, so. Yeah, there's there's a lot of very very crude art in this game for a long time uh, until uh, we brought you know Jim in and gave everything uh, a nice shine. I will say there was an artist that you hired to do all the settings. I didn't do the environment art. Uh, oh yeah, that's true. The that char- was the- yeah, yeah, I don't want to take all the credit, uh, but yeah, the character art. Yeah. Yeah, like our our world tiles, like the um the. The ground and the walls and stuff are yeah. We like contracted that out, but the the dist so like, but the art that was in the distant background, it was also art by that artist that Eric's talking about. But um, when when I originally joined and I would play the game, what would happen is my eyes would get like really distracted because that background art was so um was so highly detailed. But what I did is I said, hey, look at Super Mario World, right? That game has hills, and they're pretty much solid color, and it's got mountains, also solid color, maybe like three or four tones, but it wasn't a lot of visual variety, because when you're like playing the game, you know, you've got all these soldier pigs, and there's bullets flying, and there's grenades, and that's already like visually, uh, it's like asking a lot of the player. They got a lot of different things to pay attention to, and so um, I didn't necessarily create all the backgrounds, but I was a bit of like a like an artistic director, just to, you know take what the background had and tone it down so that uh, when someone's playing the game, they're able to focus on the, you know, the obstacles and navigate the game successfully. That's like a big part of game design that you wouldn't really think about unless you actually had a hand in it and succeeded, you know, at, at pulling off something like that. Yeah. So even the things uh, Jim didn't directly create, like every, basically everything has, We've leaned heavily on his, you know, artistic eye for, you know, like, are are things reading properly, and you know, can you see what's happening, and is it distracting, and all the things, you know, like you just said. Yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, like games have art; they aren't art. So if you put art in a game, and it has to serve the game, or you're doing it wrong. We have this really early sketch of Baron Van Oink, is it? Yeah. So Baron yeah, Van Oink, yeah. That was me misinterpreting, I think, uh, Nick's notes because we have uh, we have a guy in a plane who throws bombs, 
and we had flying pigs and i think like i just like conflated them all into one thing so i drew a guy with like wings throwing bombs and having like the flight helmet on or something and again this yeah there's it's like a little diagram on the side about the bombs basically like just to show that he throws them they fall down but they land because they've got legs and then they start walking around uh you know kind of we were calling them smart bombs mm-hmm I think the only thing smart about them is like when they land, they'll start walking in the direction that the player's in. Um, yeah. Otherwise, yeah, they're not they're not they that smart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then this one, a um, bit of a level here, and we've got a radio tower. We've got a, uh, a pig with a bayonet. Yeah, it's a little bit more of a my love for Metal Gear, just accidentally seeping into the art. Definitely like what that's all about. Yeah, barbed wire fence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, they were talking about the pigs being soldiers, and I, that might be, like, the first piece of art that had the bayonet in it. Um, I, I can't yeah. see what we're seeing. My screen is frozen. Mm. Uh, it's it, one of the, one of Jim's sketches there where it's, like, uh, it almost looks like a, like a base, but there's, like, a radio tower on it. Um. I don't know if you remember it, but that might oh. be, or no, I that like Jim said, that might be the first one that had the bayonet. I, that might not be the one that like first used to fill the role in, uh, in the. You talking about the one that you traced? Yeah, the one that you traced is from uh, that one where it's mellow or like zoomed up, but he's also like kind of bizarre looking because he's yeah, very right. inspired. Yeah, I mean, okay. if, if if that's in the list, I, I won't talk about it now, but. I think I know which one you're talking about. Does it have like a signpost and a radish in it? I believe uh, so. Let's see. Yeah, that, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, not one? that one. Yeah. Not that one either, actually. Uh, but there's a few things to say about that one, too. Um, like, so in the artwork, there's like a few different stages to the bayonet pig in that picture. Uh, there's him just like an alert, and then there's him getting squished. And it didn't exactly end up in the game that way. But this art's definitely what lent to the idea of, like, when you land and, like, step on them, what it looks like. Because, like, a year, maybe two years ago, everything would just, um, it would, like, it would be, like, a, a like just the, the stagnant pixel. very like upside down and then just like yeah it was eric doing like the best he could which was it wasn't bad it communicated what was going on but yeah like being able to squish them uh that came from this piece of art i would say it was like concept art lending to uh gameplay content all right let me uh let me see if i can find the uh the other picture that we talked about i think that's in the other concept art piece here that's the one yeah yeah so this was like when i first heard about the idea uh i hadn't really done anything for them yet but they were telling me about it and i was interested because i mean when i first heard the like marxist twins my instinct was instantly like wow as far as creating something that grabs people's attention that's gold like it's it's clever and it's funny, 
And so they were like, yeah, this is, they gave me a physical description. He's got the Russian hat. He's got facial hair, overalls, uh, capitalist pigs. And I took that and I pretty much fused it with uh, John Kruslowski from like Ren and Stimpy. Mm-hmm. That is pretty much the main influence. And I remember it was hilarious because I showed it to Nick and he's just like, Jimbo, that's hideous. Like this character is not like, <laughs> it's not supposed to be nightmarish to look at. And I was just like, oh yeah, all right, I'll reel it back. And we had uh, an intermediate style at one point. It was, I would say, like, at the beginning of the pandemic, I had a lot of downtime. So I busted out, like, a bunch of sprites for the player character. And they were, like, really, like, uh, like soft anime, like, appealing-looking characters. Um, but it kind of seemed like they, they were too, like, too flat, in a sense. So I wound up drawing a little bit from this at the end. Like, the version that you see now, it's... the it's like 10% this picture at this point. Uh, and I would say like 30% Little Mario and Super Mario World. And then the rest of like whatever, I guess 60%. Yeah, uh, that's just what the game needed, what the game called for. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so it's like a little little John K, a little 16-bit, you know. Yeah. It was a very organic process, and it involved a lot of debate over the course of several years to get the the final design that we landed on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's like a – it definitely makes me think of the phrase uh, art through adversity. Yeah, this, this one is back to the era of me literally sketching in a notebook. I think you could see the notebook lines mm-hmm. there. I uh, wasn't there yet. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is, again, why this is uh, – so much worse looking <laughs> i think it's lovely to see these and uh of course the uh the pig boss here yeah it's it, <laughs> i love that face <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm happy with with the one we have but i do i do still kind of like that uh for me like I'm going to I'm going to pretend like I was a good enough artist to like actually take some inspiration from something and say that like that's supposed to be or that's like inspired by uh you know maybe uh what was what's his last name old man is it like Thompson or something from Beavis and Butthead who's just like wandering around the store <laughs> It's it's got a very also it's got like a Dick it's, Tracy vibe to it too yeah. <laughs> but he's but he's obviously a lot you know more menacing he's, a lot, he's a lot angrier and happier to be doing bad, but you know, <laughs> it does kind of look like like crude Mike Judge art. It's I, that's maybe why I'm cracking up at it. <laughs> like it's like almost real, but not quite. Flavor and buffet. Yeah, I think here? that's. Is this this is the one that we sketched. Yeah, this this that was Jimbo's sketch that I traced and turned into the that version of the character that was you in know, the game. What we, yeah, it was what we had it for looked, a couple of years. It looked like a clean version of this character. Like the the proportions of the feet were more even than in my drawing, but otherwise it is like basically like the brother of this character, which I will say. Uh, it's very derivative of Monty Mole from Super Mario World. Uh, oh. Like that character, that it's just like a it's like a Kirby shaped lump with a face and feet. That's pretty much like the whole gist. And I just like slapped Soldier Pig onto that template. So, yeah, I love it. That's where it all comes from. Yeah, I love it. 
before we wrap up, I want to um, pull things uh, back a bit to PAX. We, we've been talking about, about, uh, about PAX and conferences in, in, in general a lot here. And uh, just a few days ago, or, or very recently at least, you, um, <clears throat> you announced that you're part of PAX Rising. Um, so tell us more about what, what is PAX Rising and, and what are you going to do there? Uh, so yeah, PAX, well, PAX, to be clear, there was a PAX Rising sort of area of PAX East, and we weren't part of that. Um, we just like bought our own booth and went to PAX and we were, you know, just did our own thing there. But uh, then we got contacted uh, by by them, by PAX, uh, one of the, I don't know, I guess sales or or uh, whatever it is, outreach people or whatever. And they put together, yeah, PAX Rising Online, which is next month. And so uh, what's going to happen there is we cut together a two-minute video that um, Gabe from Penny Arcade and... Um, I think it's Chris Straub, uh, another. Um, well, I I only know him as a as a, a web comic artist. He, he's you know I don't, I'm not sure if he does more stuff than that, but uh, he's he's also sort of associated with with Penny Arcade somehow. Um, they're going to be like watching these videos of the games, and I guess offering their commentary. I'm not sure. It's about an hour and a half. Uh, oh, awesome. so they're gonna. They're going to watch, yeah, they're going to watch through the videos for all the games. And then uh, there's like two schedules for that for Saturday and Sunday. And what it is, is like one side of things is a constant stream of games. So every half hour, there's a different game uh, that's got a video playing a, like a Let's Play style with the devs. Uh, so we recorded a Let's Play um, and we'll be hanging out on Discord like text chatting with people uh while that's going on that's okay and then yeah yeah and uh the other part of the schedule is there's like round table discussions and various kinds of other events um i'll be taking part in one of those uh, i think i forget if it's on sunday or something but yeah the main like that's that's more like a just discussion amongst developers about development and for for like actually showing it and and promoting the game it's going to be that video at the beginning plus our like half hour uh let's play that's that's so, yeah, really cool that's really really yeah cool. we're we're hoping and and i guess they said there's going to be a steam event or something for it so we're hoping that uh that that um well well my big hope is that steam puts that on the front of their page because mm -hmm. that's like the the single biggest uh, bump we got in wish lists was like while we were at PAX, our game was listed in this the Steam event for PAX East. Uh, you know, so there were so many games at PAX East that like sometimes I went to that Steam event and I had to like scroll to the bottom and say load more, scroll down, load more, scroll down, load more, and then I like I found our game on there, but it like it was random. So you know sometimes we would come up closer to the top or whatever, but uh 
with PAX Rising, it's there's not as many games. So hopefully, mm-hmm. if they do a Steam thing and they put it on the page, we're behind only like one click of load more uh, this time. And <laughs> yeah, maybe you know maybe we'll get some visibility out of that. So and um, actually hoping, or well, not hoping, will by then because it's a month away um, to actually have a an update for the demo because. Uh, as we've been going in early access, we've you know we've kept improving the game and and putting more into it. And um, the demo is some months behind. I think it might have last been built in February. April. Oh, maybe it was April. Well, no. About when you release the, it, the demo that you can get on Steam is actually different than what we were demoing at PAX. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, I hope anyway, hoping to put a, a an update out to the demo and stuff too to to coincide with that. So it'd be cool. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'll I'll be there checking uh, checking everything out and uh, see the let's play as well. That that's gonna be super fun. And I think is that's because uh, it's like an online thing. That's like free for anybody to attend, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. At okay. least I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I do too, because that means the, the most possible people. For sure, for sure. Uh, so we, this has been a fantastic time with you all. Uh, we have to wrap up, otherwise our listeners are, are going to go do something else. Uh, this has been super, super <laughs> fun uh, talking to you all. Uh, please let uh, let us know if you have any shout outs, first of all, uh, to someone uh, or... Uh, um, if you have any shout outs to someone and also where we can find you online. We'll start with Eric. Uh, yeah. Uh, you can find us on steam. Uh, Super Marxist twins. Um, I'm on Twitter at type three underscore Vesema. Um, I'm, I'm not a super effective Twitter user, but I'm there. Uh, and, um, and we got a discord also, uh, which you can, find linked from our steam page or our website it's all everything links together back and forth every which way so find us somewhere and you'll find us everywhere awesome sean uh sean you're muted <laughs> awesome uh the big guy that nick chased off the camera there was uh his brother rick uh he did a he actually did a lot of work to help us get some of the shirts produced uh, so i want to thank him as you know for for his help there and uh i also wanted to do a shout out to uh to lena uh we met with we met lena at pax uh we actually met a lot of excellent interested people and uh you know we we, we decided to actually touch base with lena and um you know so some of the work you actually see here you know like the the jetpack pig uh the work she did some work on that so wanted to say you know hey lena and thank you awesome um do you want to share where where people can find you online or is it just the discord eric do you want to do that or nick or i mentioned i mean he's talking to you specifically i think yes I'm sorry. Hey, does, Sean does not want to be found online. He would prefer you leave. <laughs> he would prefer you leave him alone. Actually, <laughs> I live in a basement. No, <laughs> no, I, I I used to live in the basement. That's where I was doing the the, the work. But uh, yes, I do not want to be found. Thank you. Sounds good. Yeah, same here. I would rather not be found online. 
Go on, Jim. <laughs> I cannot be found online, for I have no internet presence. You, you see yeah. how great it is to try to like to try to like get, get attention. It's like me, <laughs> like introverted programmer. Like, uh, please, please pay attention to the thing. <laughs> uh, I I would say I've been like focused so much on just helping make art and helping promote like the production of the game itself. Uh, I haven't spent any time developing any kind of an internet presence, other than like occasionally talking on the Discord. I would say, like of all the things we have, the Discord's really the one to focus on. That's like where we have like the most sense of community. Uh, I have nothing else to add. Fantastic. All right, yeah, as, as I said, uh, I prefer not to be found online. Um, uh, not much of a presence. Um, and if I'm going to give a shout out, I'll give a shout out to Eric's wife for letting us uh, borrow her husband for game dev stuff. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you all. Um, my name is Jonas Rosland. Uh, you can find me online everywhere uh, at Jonas Rosland. And uh, you can check us out. At, right. Yes. Uh, you can check us out at hitsave.org uh, as usual as well. Thank you again, Eric, Sean, Jim, and Nick. This has been fantastic. Uh, I really, really appreciate it uh, talking to you all. And I can't wait to see what comes next for the game. Thank you all. Thanks, thank you. Jonas. Thank you. Thanks, thank Jonas. You. Thank you. Thank you.